This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com, episode 33. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but also as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Sid, and man, is my stomach growling because I read a really delicious, delectable manga called Delicious in Dungeon, and we're going to be talking about that today. Yep, we're going to be reviewing the first volume of Delicious in Dungeon, otherwise known as Dungeon Meshi from Yen Press, and uh, we're going to be doing that a little later, but first I guess we should just get right onto the news. That's right, and starting off, we're talking about the monthly book scan list for May, and there's a lot of manga on here. Twelve volumes, 60% majority, wow! This has been a great time for manga, hasn't it? And topping the selection of manga on the list, ranked at number two, is Dragon Ball Super Volume 1. No surprise, Dragon Ball's still a big deal, incredibly popular. Then at number four, we have My Hero Academia Volume 8. Love to see that series picking up steam. Then we've got a bunch of Zelda on this list. At number six, we got the fourth volume of Akira Hemigawa's Legend of Zelda Legendary Edition. As well as on number 14, we have her Twilight Princess Volume 1, which was ranked at number 6 last month. Attack on Titan is staying strong at number 9, staying a rank consistent with its placement on last month's list with Volume 21. So we have a big conversation about, hmm, Attack on Titan is not higher than Monster Musume this time. Is Attack on Titan's popularity waning? Nope, it's pretty consistent, it seems. No, no, cl- clearly Attack on Titan has failed. It's not popular anymore. <laughs> Nobody likes it. <laughs> also still popular, clearly, is Boruto, the Naruto Next Generation sequel manga. Volume 1 is at number 11 this month, down from number 2 from last month, but still on the list. Then, this is a lot down lower than I'd expected it to be, but Tokyo Ghoul Volume 12 is ranked right here at number 13, down from number 3 from last month. And we also got Volume 1 at the list at number 15. Then, we've got Monster Musume Volume 11, ranked at number 16, down from number 10 from last month. We got One Piece in here with Volume 82 at number 18. And finally, we got the third volume of Stardust Crusaders at number 19. Love seeing the assortment of manga on display here in this month's book scan list. Really cool. Really awesome to see. Manga is kicking ass in sales. And it's like only growing. Love to see such a eclectic assortment of series on here too. Who 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 knew people liked manga? I didn't know that. I admit, I wasn't expecting Dragon Ball Super to be that, to like also rank at number two, like Boruto on the book scan list, but like it is Dragon Ball, you know, so I, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. So uh, I guess, you know, speaking of lists, we got we got a, a one or two more lists to talk about here. Um, so we have, uh, for the first half of 2017, our top selling manga in Japan by series. And uh, we're basically just going to go over the top 10 here in particular real quick. At uh, number 10, we have Food Wars, Shokugeki no Soma, uh, ranking at number 10 with 1,469,092 copies sold. And then we have at number 9, Detective Conan, 
uh, which I, uh, looking at the list, I believe wasn't on the li- uh, or at least not in the top 10, I don't think, last year, which is interesting. Yeah, Conan was number 14 last year, but in terms of sales, it's been pretty consistent. It's actually gone up slightly since last year. Um, at number eight, we have the Seven Deadly Sins ranked on here with uh, 1,881,062 copies sold. And as far as last year goes, I'm pretty sure, yep, last year was ranked at number six mm-hmm. with uh, over 2 million copies sold. So it's rank- ranked a little lower, but it's still doing pretty good. Yeah. All things considered, I think. I mean, it's had a drop of almost a million copies if you're comparing how it performed in the same time period last year. But it's still, like, one of the best-selling titles on the scene right now. Yeah, like I said, it's still doing good, all things considered. Yeah. Um, At number seven, we have One Punch Man selling at uh, 1,982,356 copies. Um, let's see, where does it rank on last year's list? Uh, number seven. Actually, s- same, same place, except, uh, that series has also had a bit of a million, uh, copy drop too, unfortunately. But Half again, still million. doing good. Still doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. At number six, we have My Hero Academia selling 2,097,088 copies, which, uh, let's see here. I don't think I see it on the top 10. No, it no, is. It's, it, it was at, number 10. Yeah, it was at number 10. I'm seeing it right now. Mm-hmm. Even though it's had its placement is uh, higher this year, it has slightly dropped in sales from last year by about a hundred thousand. Yeah, that is really interesting. It, it seems seems like a lot of these have kind of dropped in sales a little bit. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting to note. Um, at number five, we have Tokyo Ghoul Re selling at uh, two million one hundred fifty four thousand seven hundred fifty two copies, which. Uh, uh, Tokyo Ghoul Re in particular was previously ranked at number nine last year. Yeah, not too much of a draw from last year. Yeah, it still seems somewhat consistent from what I'm looking at here. Yeah. At uh, number four, we have Haikyuu selling uh, 3,086,097 copies. Yeah, now this is a million drop right here. Even though the placement is the same, this is like... Uh, last year, Haikyuu sold over four million copies uh, in the same in the time period, and this year, uh, in this time period, it's only sold like three million. So, hmm. it's interesting. And at number three, we have Kingdom uh, selling at three million two hundred and forty-four thousand six hundred and eighteen copies. Uh, again, at number three, and it looks like last year it ranked at number five. With uh, um, I don't. It doesn't look like. Uh, I'm trying to see here. Yeah, it didn't have too much of a drop. Yeah. Um, so that's that's still pretty popular from what it seems. Um, at number two, um, take a wild guess, we have Attack <laughs> on Titan selling 3,974,437 copies. Which, uh, r- r- really, because of Assassination Classroom last year, uh, you know, uh, Attack on Titan had a number three rank. Um, but again, looks like uh, al- almost... I want to say over a million drop in Attack on Titan in particular. Uh, no, just about 500,000. Okay, apparently I can't do math, so <laughs> that's cool. Um, but no, um, I mean, at number one, like, so, so you want to take a guess? Like, I I, I think, I, I don't think we'll ever be able to guess what's at number one this year. Jeez, could it be the series that has one literally in its name? 
That's Illuminati confirmed. Um, uh, we have One Piece ranked at number one once again with 5,969,851 copies sold. Uh, yeah, still, again, no- another bit of a drop from uh, from last year. Another 500,000 drop, but, like, still pretty much. It's, it, like, Attack on Titan has 3,900,000. One Piece has 5,900,000. That's, like, a 2 million difference. Like, One Piece is untouchable. <sighs> pretty much. Um, really, the only, like, big difference with 2017 compared to uh, 2016 is that, because uh, it looks like in 2017, uh... Both uh, both Assassination Classroom and Erased were ranked in the top ten in particular, but obviously mm-hmm. um, those series aren't really as relevant uh, this year because it's 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 been a while since they've ended. I think literally a year since both of those have ended. Yeah. Uh, so that's really the only difference. Um, well, I guess Detective Conan also being in the top ten this year is kind of a difference too. Right, but it didn't. It's just sold as much as ever. It's just that. The series haven't performed, like, better this year, you know? Like, uh, a lot of series have shown a little bit of a decline from last year, and so, you know, Conan's just stayed consistent, and so that's just, you know, just by staying consistent, it's moved up from... I I guess so. ...compared to other series that have dropped. Uh, Yeah, just speaking of series that I'm personally invested in, it looks like like Gintama kind of dropped... Uh, from uh, last year too, whereas last year it ranked at number seventeen with uh, one million four hundred sixty-eight thousand eight hundred ninety copies sold. Uh, this year it ranked at number twenty-four with uh, seven hundred ninety-five thousand four hundred fifty-five copies sold. Mm. So that's a bit of a drop, about probably two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, somewhere around there. I mean, that's actually quite a bit of a drop. That's like seven hundred thousand. Yeah. Also, it kind of kind of hurts my heart that like this year gintama's ranked under days apparently which <laughs> that that really hurts because uh days wasn't really that great at least not as far as the anime goes mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know if the manga is any better but whatever it's fine i've i mean gintama's out, almost out the door anyway so i guess it doesn't really matter at this point <laughs> yeah i'm surprised that wool trigger has basically managed to stay where it is i mean in terms of sales it's dropped like four hundred thousand. But, like, it's still number 20 on the list as it was last year, and that means it's performed better than Kintama, even though it's been on hiatus for, like, six months now. That 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 uh, that hurts me just as much. I um, mean, as a World Trigger... I mean, I'm a Kintama fan as well, but as a World Trigger fan, like, who is, like, being concerned about whether the series has a future when it comes back, like, the enduring popularity of it, like, is reassuring. Well, that that's that's true. I, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, well, I don't like World Trigger, so I hope it does bad. But <laughs> no, that's. I'm I'm glad World Trigger still sells enough, at least. Um, I'm glad Ashihara is still probably getting some royalties from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just noticing uh, for this year's list, um, Black Clover is actually on this list uh, when it wasn't last year, so that's that's pretty neat to see. Yeah, it's ranked at number twenty eight. Yeah, rank, ranking kind of at the bottom, yeah. Yeah. Bordeaux's on this list, too. I'd actually, I honestly had expected Bordeaux to be higher, but, you know, again, then again, it's a monthly manga, so it doesn't, and compared to Naruto, which was weekly, it's not putting out as many volumes. I also can't imagine that, like, I mean, outside of probably, like, it's already established fan base that not a lot of people are probably too interested in Boruto. I mean, it's uh... still, it's, 
I mean, that's the, the, this, this is coming from somebody who's not a part of the Naruto fan base. That's just my theory, but I could be totally wrong. I mean, I think Boruto is doing well as a fran- as like a continuation of the franchise, it seems. Because, I don't know, I mean, they're making it, it's a TV anime now. The movie always did really well two years ago. So it's like, I think people have accepted Boruto. And it is so... <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm, I, I guess what I meant to say was I'm, I wonder, like, if it's attracting any new fans at all is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, how, <laughs> I can't really speak to that. I'm not in with the uh, the teenagers just discovering anime these days, I guess. But I mean, either. <laughs> uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I, who knows? Like, some people got into Dragon, probably got into Dragon Balls through Dragon Ball Super. You know, some kids in Japan. So oh, probably maybe they're getting into Naruto through Boruto. Um. Oh, here's oh. a ser- here's a series. Actually, I know you'll like. Uh, yeah. To- Tokyo Terroriba Girls ranked at number twenty one this year. Yeah, it's really cool. Whenever I see Higashimura's series perform really well, I'm really glad. So that's really cool to see Tokyo Terroriba on the list. Also interesting to me is that the card capture Sakura uh, sequel manga is doing really well. It's ranked at number 17 here uh, with just under a million copies. Yeah, I'm uh I I think that's about it for I guess what what I really wanted to talk about with the list unless there's anything else you wanted to point out. Well, that series the full-time wife escapist that Kadansha USA recently licensed uh, for digital release is on the list here at number 16, which is pretty interesting to me, because I didn't realize it was that popular. Huh. Oh, did Kodansha just put that out? Yes, I believe it's already available digitally. We talked about it it on the show before. Like, Okay, I was going to say, did we talk about it on the show before and I just forgot? That's probably what happened. Yeah. Because hmm. that's, that's weird, because that doesn't sound familiar. That shows you how good my memory is. <laughs> uh, that's interesting, though. Huh? Okay, I think that might be about it for the list, though. Uh, wanna... Wait a minute. One oh, more oh, thing. Oh. Blue Exorcist wasn't on the list last year, but this year it is. So I guess, like, the anime from earlier this year, like, really boosted its sales. Oh, wow. That is that's that is interesting. I didn't even yeah, see that. It just missed the top 10 at number 11. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big increase. Actually, it's interesting because, like, the, when I... Like, the bottom of both of these lists are really interesting, because, like, whereas last year you had stuff like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, I Am a Hero, Golden Kamui, and Ajin. Um, like, not, not, I don't think any of those are on this year's list. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess they're, they've been replaced by, like, newer hits or, like, series that got back in the spotlight recently. Probably, yeah. Um, I was also going to say um, Bleach is not on this year's list, but that kind of makes sense because I mean, it's it's over at this ended. point. <laughs> yeah, but overall, uh, it's interesting to see these trends. There seems to be a decline in the same period as last year, but overall, most series are just staying consistent, which is good to see. Yeah, I there is a decline, but I also... I personally just, as somebody who doesn't live in Japan and obviously has the best opinion on this... Um, <laughs> I I d- I don't think it'll be a problem. Yeah. I mean, I th- I think it'd be a problem if they declined any further maybe, but uh I don't know. I I think I think we can still say cuz from from what I'm seeing it seems like um cuz I know we've talked on the show before about how like print magazines are definitely in decline unfortunately with how many uh subscribers they've lost uh, over the past year or so. Um 
But from from what I'm hearing, like you know, manga volumes, like the actual Tonka Bond sales are they they're they're still usually pretty strong. Like people still buy the hell out of those, which is good. Next list is light novels. So yeah, these are the top selling light novels in Japan by series for the first half of 2017. And yeah, so like going down from 10 to 1, at number 10 here we have Konusuba spin-off. Huh. Uh there's a spin-off. Yeah, I guess. So yeah, the Konusuba <laughs> spin-off is done pretty well because it's here at number 10 with 168 copies. So oh, volume 1000 copies sold. Well, a, a whole 168 copies. <laughs> uh <laughs> flop. Obviously, it's sold more than that. It's sold 168,000. Yeah. But, uh, at number nine, we have that Ricarding Reincarnation as Slime Mon- uh, light novel series with, uh, 231, 100,000 copies sold. Interesting enough, I think that, I, I think there is a manga for that because I think that was on the, um, 2017 list actually that I just saw. Yeah, it was on the, the manga adaptation was on the 2017, uh, manga list. So. Pretty interesting. Maybe we'll see that as anime someday. Probably it's popular. I don't think it's licensed, is it? The manga, anyway? I feel like we talked about it being licensed recently. Maybe we did. Yeah. The, I mean- see, see that this that's the problem <laughs> with so many licenses, is that I, I guess this is a good problem to have. I always forget what's been licensed or not. Mm-hmm. And if you exclude the Konosuba spinoff as a separate thing, like recording Reincarnation of Slime is the only one of these in the top 10 that doesn't have an anime adaptation. So I'm sure that at some point we'll see one of this. Because it seems like a concept that they would make an anime out of. Uh, speaking of, at number 8, we have Eru Manga Sensei. Uh, we add 239,000 copies sold. You know, I actually watched an episode of this recently because Digi Bro, uh, he's been doing like these co- uh, commentaries with Best Guy Ever. I've, I've they, seen like, those, yeah. Yeah. So with the la- with the most recent episode, they performed like a live commentary. So like I kind of watched the show as they were commenting and riffing on it. It was like, yeah, I, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a it's a harem comedy with uh incest undertones i've i've seen a, i've seen a lot of like i don't of i don't know this might this might be kind of broad but i've seen a lot of like i've seen some anime twitter people comment on the show and you I know, know maxi really likes it it's it's so i don't I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, why is this popular? I don't really understand. <laughs> but then again, I haven't actually watched the show myself, so I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem overly offensive outside of the idea that, you know, this guy wants to get with his sister and the girl <sighs> wants to get with him, too. And it's I like, mean, outside yeah. of that, outside of that, yeah, it's pretty tame. I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, outside of that, it's just, you know, harem stuff, but. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's popular, I guess. I can understand. I like, you know, I've read interpretations of like, like what it's really about. Like, you know, these these two characters, they really just want to ha- to be family again. You know, after losing their parents and isolating themselves and whatever. And like, there are some interesting readings of the characters, I guess. But like, you know, it'll probably just end like Orimo did, and they get married and you know stuff like that. Or it'll be it'll the anime will be popular for a season and then people will forget it. I don't know. It's uh, performing really well in Japan. 
Um, so, like, I'm talking about the anime, especially. Like, it's performing very well, so uh, we probably will get more seasons of it. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, speaking of another light novel adaptation from the season, one that I guess is even more critically reviled, uh, Akashic Records of the Bastard Magical Instructor, the series that that one guy from uh, New York Times watched and didn't like and then wrote an article about how he I mean, he mentioned how he didn't like it in an article that wasn't really about Country Girl, and everyone got in his case and said, oh, you hate anime, or whatever. But uh, anyway, that's ranked at number seven at 275,000 copies sold. It's uh, it's popular. Next is The Irregular and Magic High School, with just under 300,000 copies sold at number six. And then uh, from earlier this year was Saga of Tanya the Evil. That ranks at number five with 344,000 copies sold. Then the novelization of Your Name is at number four. Honestly, I didn't expect this to be higher, but uh, that's on here at number four with 412,000 copies sold. ReZero is number three at 540,000 copies sold. Konosuba is at number two with 578,000 copies sold. And of course, at number one is Sword Art Online at 707. 300,000 copies sold. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm not <laughs> I'm not too surprised by the top 5 at least, honestly. Yeah, no, it makes sense to me. Yeah, all, all all the top 10 makes sense to me. Uh really. That's true, yeah. Yeah, interesting this uh, as, as somebody who doesn't really read a lot of light novels at all. Um it is in- it's kind of interesting as an outsider to see what the trends are still. Yeah, as someone who likes Konosuba and ReZero in your name, I'm glad that the light novels of those are done really well. Uh, but I think uh, with all, 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 all the lists out of the way, um, we should move on to our uh, serialization news. Yeah. So first, let's talk about some stuff that have been ending, or are going to end, as the Spice and Wolf manga adaptation is heading towards its finale in its 16th volume having entered its final arc way back in the 13th volume. The manga adaptation originally launched about 10 years ago in Dengeki Mao, and so I guess 10 years later, it's about to end. Like, no conversation on, like, when the 16th volume will come out, I think. But yeah, that'll be the final volume of the Spice and Blood manga adaptation. And then they'll probably make one for the sequel series. Probably. Um, and then, uh, next up, we actually have a, uh, Shonen Sunday series ending. Yes. Uh, which, I guess really at the, at the time of this recording, uh, Shun Matsuena, uh, basically the creator of, uh, Kenshi, the Mightiest Disciple, his series, uh, Tokiwa Kitairi, Tokiwa, I'm just gonna call it Tokiwa for short, um, will have ended in the 28th issue of Shonen Sunday, I guess really by the time this episode's out. Yeah, it actually um, already ended, because oh, Bomber did it? talked okay. about it in his blog earlier this week. Okay, then. There there you go. It's already ended. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think we've we, we've talked about that during when we when we were talking about Shonen Sunday before, but, and I, yeah. I remember, it's weird, because I remember, like, being, like, kind of, kind of thinking like oh the premise sounds interesting or whatever and i also remember i don't know it's weird i remember being i remember my reactions to it more than i actually do my like what it's actually about yeah i don't really remember what it's about either i i just i just look at the art and i look at the main girl's character design and i'm turned off 
and, and and it's like, yep, this is the Kenichi guy. Yeah. I I've I've tried reading Kenichi before and it's just like it's alright, but like I need I need a little more to sink my teeth into, honestly, personally. Yeah, I my friends on Animation Revelation uh read a couple hundred chapters worth of it and they really got sick of it uh after a while. I know I know that. They've complained about that a bunch of times. What what's uh, speaking of Shonen on Sunday, what's what what else what else is coming up? Yeah, so Hayate the Combat Battler recently ended and the final volumes are scheduled to come out on June 16th and go- what's going to be included in those uh volumes in their limited editions uh there will be side stories. And then the side stories included with volume 51 will be about secrets and hidden sides to characters, while the side stories included with volume 52 will be about what will happen to the characters after the ending of the main story, which is a pretty neat. So yeah, so there's going to be extra content in these uh last two Hayate the Combat Butler volumes, including maybe an epilogue to the series. Well, that's, that's uh, extra content is always a good thing. Yeah. Uh, who knows if that'll be in the English editions, because that'll probably not come out over here for 10 years at the relate, at the <laughs> rate Wiz is releasing the series. Uh, but I guess next up, uh, so, you know, basically the, the creator of Having You Heard, I'm Sakamoto, uh, Nami Sano, will begin serializing a new series in the 46th issue of Karakawa's Harta magazine on July 15th. Uh, which will be about two handsome twins. And that's about all we know. Um, and, you know, I, I have a few thoughts on Sakamoto as a series itself. Like, I, man, I don't know. I have weird feelings on Sakamoto because, like, I I had heard so much about Sakamoto for a while. Like, I knew a lot of people who really liked the manga and always went on about how funny it was. And then I read the first volume and I was... I don't know. I feel like the hype kind of killed me or killed it for me a little bit because it's like, oh, it's just kind of the same joke, which I know a lot of other people might disagree with me on that and be like, oh, but no, Colton, it's really funny. Like you just no, it's really funny. Like he's he's cool. And that's the joke. And it's like, I get that. But I wish there was a bit more variation than what I got personally. So I can't say that, like, I'm I'm a little wary of like this new manga turning out the same way. But I guess it also doesn't help that, like, you know, we have very little info on, like, what it's actually about other than, look at these two handsome guys. They're twins. What kind of wacky situations are they going to get into? I don't know. But, like, I, I maybe I'm sure I'll probably try it, and I'm hoping I'll find it a little more enjoyable than Sakamoto. Sid, I don't know if you agree with any of those criticisms at all. I really enjoyed Sakamoto. I thought it was really funny. I thought, like, it was actually pretty cool and pretty amazing, like, how they were able to take a one-joke premise and keep it consistently funny just through, like, the character interactions and just how absurd uh, Sakamoto's perfectness could get. It seems that Nami-sano is really interested on handsome, eccentric main characters well like handsome inhumanly perfect main characters so like her new series seems like very much the same kind of thing i haven't uh read the sakamoto manga but i really enjoy the anime so you know i am like interested in this and i it could be a lot of fun 
see, there are two kinds of people in the world. Uh, people who think Sakamoto is the funniest thing ever, and people who think, eh, it could be better. Oh, man, I just have so many good memories of watching Sakamoto, because, like, at one of our, like, uh, irregular Wii parties, we just stayed <laughs> up, and, like, it, it was, like, one in the morning, and, like, we just marathoned all of <laughs> Sakamoto, like, you know, we we're just gonna put on the most recent episode, because I wanted to see it, but then, like, the guys we were with were, like, super into it, so we went back and watched everything that had aired up to that point, and it was, like, <laughs> 4 a.m. when we were done, it was like, wow, that was, uh, that was a good time. See, Sakamoto seems like the kind of show that, like, would be, I think I would probably would have liked more, like, watching with friends. It's It seems like the kind of show for that. Yeah, honestly, I did think, I do think I enjoyed it more when I watched it the second time with friends, so... Yeah, I that's think totally is, fair. I think a lot of comedy anime are great to watch with other people because I think like when you're with other people, like you also want them to laugh, and so you will get into the show more because like it's kind of performative. Like you both want to have a good time with the show, so you like you will like make your own jokes at the show, and you will like get caught up in the atmosphere. So I think like a lot of comedy anime, the best way to watch it is to watch it socially. Well, let's talk about another uh, series coming from a guy whose manga was uh, the subject of a very popular anime adaptation last year. Very. Uh, Keisanbe, the mangaka of Erased, which has inspired a whole franchise, uh, pretty much, with an anime, a film, and an upcoming Netflix series. He is uh, preparing to make his new manga series... Uh, that will come out on the August issue of Katakawa's Young Ace magazine, which will go on sale on July 4th. Uh, we don't really have any title or details on the series yet, but I'm sure a lot of people will be looking forward to Sanbei's next work after the uh, incredible popularity of Erased. We also have new details for Yuki Kodama, the mangaka behind Kids on the Slopes, new manga. This series will come out in the September issue of Monthly Flowers in July 28. And the series is going to be an omnibus series called Chisako's Garden, about a girl who has an unexpected meeting in the garden of her house. It looks like kind of a fairy tale-esque kind of series about like uh meeting like little people living in the garden it seems based on this uh teaser image so cool cool stuff and um more new manga on the way as uh we are apparently getting a new manga from uh satoshi mizukami author of such works as lucifer and the biscuit hammer and spirit circle which i believe you can read both on crunchyroll yes um definitely want to talk about his work at some point but yeah he'll be uh launching a new manga uh called uh who this is a long one uh the nihon matsu siblings and wooden valley adventures which uh apparently is not an official romanization or translation of the title uh so that's that could probably be subject to change at some point when it's actually probably officially licensed and uh will be released in uh uh, Shonen Gahosha's Young King R's Magazine on June 30th. Just to kind of sum things up, it looks like it's uh, basically about, about an older brother and his younger sister. Uh, the older brother 
basically being, uh, uh, you know, sullen and stingy and polite, you know, probably pretty, uh, probably pretty uptight. And uh, the younger, energetic uh, little sister who can, who are basically uh, supernatural problem solvers and uh, are basically, can, you can, are, are for hire for uh, exorcisms and whatnot. So looks like it's going to be a uh, supernatural battle kind of manga, which I think could be interesting. Yeah, this is uh, this author is definitely uh, uh, his. I I haven't read Spirit Circle, but Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer. I know I uh, I've read all of um, I I read all of that before it was licensed. Actually, um, I remember reading that and thinking, yeah, this series had a very uh, very kind of like weird, quirky charm to it that I think just it kind of like drew me in a little bit um and i remember really enjoying that uh the 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 feel of that manga so i'm hoping that like maybe this manga kind of carry on that same kind of charm that'd be kind of cool yeah i haven't read any of the mangaka's previous works but i've heard really great things about them and i hope to read them at some point and yeah i'd love to talk about them on the show uh, yes I, i'm i'm hoping to make sid read lucifer and the biscuit hammer doing a whole episode about it yeah That'll be fun. Also fun is when a manga uh, comes back, and it comes back to the original publication it first ran in. And that's right. Masami Kurumada's Otokuzaka is returning to the Shonen Jump brand. Otokuzaka being the infamously incomplete manga that Kurumata started in 1984 that was cut short after about three volumes worth of content and ending with the iconic Otokazaka road image that has been parodied numerous times has become like symbolic of a manga that is incomplete and destined to remain incomplete. Uh, but yeah, after he brought it back in 2014 in, uh, shoe play news after you know 30 years and now it's going to be published on shonen jump plus starting on july 14th so yeah tokusaka has returned to the shonen jump brand like a 30 year old series is continuing on the shonen jump website and that's really cool Kuramata, for those who don't know, is also the author of um, a little uh, little title we've talked about on the show before. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, Saint Seiya. Uh, I see here that it was George Horwath who gave ANN the news tip. Yeah, for for anyone who's interested in knowing a bunch about Masami Kuramata's work, you gotta like follow the Land of Execution blog. Uh, George Horvat. Dude is, like, a huge Kuramata fanboy. He has written so many, like, uh, pieces about Kuramata's various manga. That's how what I know about Kuramata is just reading his blog. Like, he is awesome. So, like, definitely, uh, if you are interested in learning more about a Tokuzaga, since I don't think there are any scans of it or anything, like, uh, definitely read his blog because it seems like a pretty interesting series. And, uh, the story behind it and its ending is pretty awesome. And hey, maybe if that new, like, Saint Seiya spinoff that we talked about, I think, on the last episode, maybe yeah. it does well. I think Seven Seas is bringing that out, right? I'm pretty yeah. sure. Hey, maybe if that does well, maybe maybe they'll pick up more of Kuramata's work. I don't know. Hey, who knows? Seven Seas is not afraid to dig into some classic manga with the likes of Devil Man and Captain Harlock. So maybe, just maybe, we might get some classic Kuramata one day, too. That'd be pretty sweet. I I would buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I guess to move on... 
Well, we talked before that Boruto is getting a novelization that uh, came out earlier this month. And yeah, it's getting a second novel that will be coming out on July 4th. That will cover the uh, Academy chapter of the franchise, which is basically what the anime is about right now. Uh, it's going to be about Sarada Shikadai Inojin and Chocho facing a threat in their school life. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sounds interesting. Sounds gripping. I've checked out. I haven't like uh, consistently watched Boruto, but I've you know come back into a f- couple episodes here and there. And, like it's fun, but you know it's it's <laughs> the the problem with it I have with it is that. You know, I know where Boruto's character arc is going because I've seen the Boruto movie. So, like, until the anime gets past that point, like, everything before it kind of feels like filler. That's, yeah, I can't imagine that's not, um, obnoxious to deal with. Yeah. But more interesting to me is that We Never Learn is getting a second printing of its first volume. Now, I don't know how many copies its first uh, printing was, but I think just in general... For, uh, first volume to get reprinted after only like, what, two weeks of it being out? I think that's pr- a pretty good sign that it's pretty successful. Yeah, this is probably one of those things where it's like, oh, maybe Shueisha wasn't expecting this to sell super amazingly, so they probably only ordered like so many hundred thousands of copies or something. It's, it's one of those things where they probably just didn't think, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe we should have printed more. Yeah, I think when a series uh, supersedes expectations, that's a good sign that, you know, it's doing really well. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think this happened to stuff like Omakadoki Zoo as well, too, at least in the beginning of its run. Uh, so it's 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 not it's not exactly a rare thing to happen. But, yeah, uh, and nor is it a guarantee of long-term success. Exactly. Short-term success, I can definitely, I, I definitely feel like it's a good indicator of. Wouldn't it be funny if, like, we never learn just have just like completely crushed everyone's expectations and just ends up running for like seven years? Kind of like Musicoi. Yeah, I could see this maybe having a healthy run of like maybe four or five years if uh, if people like it enough. I yeah, like, like like I feel like that's probably in the realm of possibility, but like whether that'll happen or not, I'm not sure if we can really say. Yeah. But, you know, I enjoy We Never Learn, so I think it's, I, so any, it's success, you know, I, I feel good about it. Yeah, for, for, for you and V-Lord's sake, I, I I hope it keeps running, but. Uh, I don't know if V-Lord is that into it, you know. Does he, <laughs> does he not like jump. it? No, I think he likes it just fine, but I, like, I don't think he like, likes it quite on the same level like me and Maxi do, you know. Okay. Hmm. I, I know he's at least positive on it. Yeah, but uh, you know, speak, speaking of the long running series and when, when they'll end, uh, I guess it doesn't really apply to this one. But uh, you know, we we talked about last episode about how Hunter Hunter will be resuming in Shonen Jump on June twenty sixth, aka my birthday. Um, and <laughs> uh, you know, just just in case anybody had any doubts, um, Sasaki Sashi himself has confirmed that uh, Hunter Hunter will be running in the Viz Jump when it comes back. So that's good. Yeah. It's one of those things where I think we we probably could have just assumed so, but it's it's nice to have some actual confirmation of such. But uh you know, with uh with a new series coming back, uh 
we we have a couple of them that are ending, and the first one is uh, Shunuma's Salmon the Summoner, which uh, apparent well, um, let's see, twenty seventh issue of Shonen Jump. Uh, no, Salmon has already ended. Oh, okay, it already point. ended. Okay, I wasn't I wasn't particularly sure. Yeah, so I guess yeah, by the time you're listening to this, it's already ended. So there you go. Which is almost unfortunate because I was I was kind of excited for the series just because I uh, Fujita, uh, the director of a huge portion of Gintama and Osamatsu-san, had mentioned that he'd be interested in making an anime of this, and uh, I was kind of excited for that because I like Fujita's work, and it made me kind of excited to maybe check out Sam on the Summoner at some point. But uh, I guess it probably wasn't doing super well. Because it looks like it's ending, or it has it has already ended, I should say. So, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, maybe you could maybe you could still get an anime. I don't know because I think Black Cat got an anime after it ended. Yeah, so did Booster Rankin. So you never know. But uh, yeah, so that's ended along with U uh, nineteen, or as I've just learned, it's pronounced recently under nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, has uh is going to be ending in the next uh issue of jump on the, the 28th issue of Shonen Jump which again basically we'll... it'll already have ended by the time you're listening to this exactly yeah so um <laughs> I, I was telling Sid off Mike that uh U19's title being under 19 is uh it's very appropriate cuz um U19 did not run for even 19 chapters like by the t- <laughs> by the time it ends it'll have run for 17 chapters uh, it's it's a shame they couldn't just go for like eighteen to just be one under nineteen. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that would have been nice, but yeah, like seventeen chapters is about I think normal for um, yeah for a canceled jump series. Um, I think Red Sprite ran for less than that, didn't it? Yeah, Red Sprite and Love Rush was only were only fourteen chapters. Man, that's really unfortunate. Because it's unfortunate because like U nineteen seemed like it had an interesting premise, but like from from what I had heard from you know other people reading it, um, it didn't really seem like it was very worthwhile in the end. Yeah, I mean, I thought it had a lot of potential, but I guess it just didn't live up to it. Unfortunately, I was honestly expecting we never learn to end before U nineteen, and I <laughs> boy, look how wrong I was. Yeah. We never learn. We'll probably be around for a while yet. We never learn is going to be popular just to spite me. I can just feel it coming. <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> it's it's gonna it's gonna become like the second best rom com and jump next to like Orange Road or something. It's it's gonna be the voice of a generation. <laughs> I think Easy Way is like the highest selling uh, rom com in jump history. I mean, for certainly it is the longest by far. Like this is true, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see if I never learn runs as long as music by. <laughs> but uh, with two series and jump ending, we're getting two new ones. Sid, would you like to talk about those real quick? Yeah. So coming out in the issue that will already have been out by the time you're listening to us, issue twenty-eight will be a new series from the author of Straighten Up, Tokuma Yokoda, called Shudan, which will be a soccer manga. It'll be a story about a young boy growing up into adulthood in the quote-unquote soccer kingdom of Shizuoka. I really liked Straight It Up, so I'm, you know, excited for the creator's new work. I think the uh, character designs look super cute. And even though, like, Ole Galazzo, uh, another soccer manga that, like, recently began and ended uh, in Jump not too long ago, wasn't 
terribly successful. You know, I'm crossing my fingers that Shudan will have better success. And then we also have another rom-com entering the mix in the form of Cross Account by the author of Tokyo Wonder Boys, Tsunohiro Date. Cross Account will be a story about the crossing fates of a young man and woman who were never supposed to meet. Hmm. And um, apparently, I think um, I think Viz mentioned somewhere that apparently this manga in particular is going to be involving the use of social media. Yeah, a modern love story. Very interesting. So, yeah, I think both of these sound interesting. And, of course, you know, I'm excited for Shudan just because it's by the Straight Enough guy. And I like that series a lot. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to these new jump starts. Uh, I'm not expecting these to be added into the English jump just because there isn't a spot available. But e- either so, I'm hoping, like, uh, I'm hoping Shudan is successful. And then if Cross Account's good, I also hope that will be successful because they sound interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I can't say I'm like too too like particularly excited for these two, just because like one's one's a soccer manga, and I mean I I don't have anything against sports manga. It's just that I don't find soccer particularly interesting, which is why I really liked Ole Galazzo so much. Was because I I don't know like like the sense of style that it kind of had have made me really interested in its uh in its uh, subject matter, and then um, I'm also not really a huge like rom-com person at all so i don't know i'm like i'm kind of torn on on cross account because you know because i again i'm not a rom-com person but like the the angle of like adding social media into into the mix could either be kind of interesting or it could just make the series seem kind of dated well it'd only be dated like in retrospect unless they like that's that's true use in use like what uh MySpace or something for some reason. <laughs> Actually, I would totally, I would totally be behind a manga where they're just like, where. They're the last no. clingers on to MySpace. They, they're stubbornly refuse to move on to other platforms. They're like, no, MySpace forever, MySpace for life. A shonen battle manga where, uh, where where all the characters are represented by different social media um, platforms, and they all have to duke it out. Yeah, that could be totally stupid, but I'd still read it. And then who who is who is the guy that like um, you know when you use MySpace when you're first starting you when you're first starting to use MySpace and you like get a friend request from like the one person who like probably runs MySpace. What was his name again? You remember what I'm talking I about? I never used MySpace. Great. Thanks for making me feel old, Sid. (laughs) Like, there was, there was, like, when you use MySpace, there'd always be, like, this one guy who would be like, hey, I'm your first friend or whatever. I think his name was Tom, but I don't (laughs) remember. I was gonna say, maybe, maybe make Tom, like, the, like, the, like, the hidden king of MySpace. He he could be the final (laughs) boss. I guess. I mean, I thought, I thought the goal of this MySpace manga was to make more friends on MySpace. Well, yeah, to make more friends and then have them like battle it out because every shonen ma- every shonen jump manga ever has to turn into a battle manga at some point. Hmm. I mean, I think the idea should be you should challenge other social media platform people, like like the your team MySpace, and you're challenging like Team Twitter, Team Facebook, and after you defeat them, they join your team, and that that's how like the the system the battle system will play out it'll be like a tournament kind of thing oh even better make a make a 
have, have like a have like a one of the punchlines be like, oh hey, we want to start a MySpace club, but like their high school. You know, be all like, <laughs> okay, but you, but you have to have like at least five members, and then they have to find four other people who use MySpace. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that, so yeah, basically a high school sports manga, but with social media instead of sports. That'd be, I'd read it. That'd be pretty cool. We should we should send it over to Shueisha while while uh, after we're done. Yeah, because that's, that's a how that great works. Idea. Uh, it'll it'll run for probably exactly 13 chapters before it gets canceled. <laughs> Maybe it'll set the record for fastest cancellation and jump. Like, beat that one series by Yoshi Sawai, which only ran eight chapters. This will run... Seven. Two. A Somehow two- it gets canceled <laughs> with chapter two. They don't even bother with the third chapter. Like, the jump start suddenly ends with chapter two, and it was like, uh, this has to go like... Uh, so this series was, did so bad, was so hated, that they didn't even make it to a chapter, so this Jumpstart one was only two chapters, and the series is over now, uh, sorry. So, so, new Jumpstarts, that's a good thing, but, uh, Sid, what, what, what's the next thing we're gonna be talking about here? Sure, so, I don't really have a good segue into this, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this isn't really related to, like, new series, in fact, this is another ended series is just getting new content kind of like otoko saka yeah orange is getting a seventh volume uh i mean it it already had a sixth volume that compiled a bunch of spin-off side stories but like now they have enough i guess to put in for a seventh volume which yeah uh i guess we'll cover a bunch of you know, this recent, like, spin-off chapters and side stories that they put out recently. Just like the sixth volume did. So, yeah. I'm I'm still really kind of surprised at, like, how much... Like, it's not a lot, but how much mileage that Orange is still getting out of its material. Because it's... It, it really... To me, it, Orange seems like the kind of thing that really should have been one and done. But I guess... I don't know. I mean, I guess Orange just has, like, insane longevity as a franchise like i guess it does it, as short as it is i guess it's going to be something that is going to be really like it's going to be kept relevant just to like a bunch of sequels and spin-offs because i guess it's just so popular and it did so well that they want to keep like milking it i would not be surprised if they just go ahead and make a full-blown sequel manga at some point I think it'd be funnier if, like, every year, like, they just announce, like, a single new chapter of Orange every year. Just make it a tradition. That'd be funny. But, yeah, another volume of Orange is on the way. Uh, also, even more surprising is that there's going to be a new chapter of Happy Mania, a uh, series by Mikoyo Ano. And that's going to be published in the... Uh, August issue of Shodensha's Feel Young magazine. I guess it'll show, like, what happened to the main character after the end of the series, and, like, she got married or whatever. So, that's yeah, pretty interesting. I've enjoyed that series from what I read of it. I enjoy a lot of Mokoyo Ano's work in general. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. But I guess uh, moving on to our last piece of, uh, sort of, I guess, serialization news. Not really, not, not really serialization news, but it's, uh, Still, I guess it's a another publication milestone that I we thought would be uh, worth talking about. Uh, Captain Subasa, uh, you, you might have heard of it. Speaking of soccer manga earlier, is probably one of the most well known soccer manga 
I would say. Um, it's got a, got a bit of a following. Um, so apparently with the sixth volume of Captain Tsubasa Rising Sun in particular, uh, coming out, uh, it looks like it's already out actually. Um, with the sixth volume, it is like basically throughout like Captain Tsubasa and its many like iterations and spinoffs and other sequel series and whatever, uh, it has collected 100 volumes. Uh, with some uh, 70 million copies in print in Japan alone. And yeah, from what I'm seeing, yeah, there's the original Captain Tsubasa that ran in Jump from 81 to 88, uh, followed by Captain Tsubasa World Youth from 1994 to 97. And then uh, let's see, Captain Tsubasa Road in uh, Weekly Young Jump from 2001 to 2004. Uh, Captain Tsubasa Golden 23 from 2005 to 2008. Captain Tsubasa Kaigai Gekitohen uh, from 2009 to 2012. And then finally, we have Rising Sun, which is uh, currently running in uh, Shueisha's Grand Jump. So um, apparently, Captain Tsubasa will just never end. I guess not. No, it's just a franchise with lots of longevity. I mean, it's a very important uh, franchise internationally. Like, there are a lot of soccer players worldwide who have been inspired by Captain Tsubasa to take up soccer. So, you know, it's not a huge deal in the U.S. because, for one thing, uh, the U.S. doesn't care about soccer that much. But worldwide, uh, especially in, like, Italy, France, and Mexico, like, uh, Captain Tsubasa is a pretty big deal, so... Yeah, I mean, I do think the it reaching a hundred chapters through its various collected series is a uh, hundred volumes rather through its various collected series is you know a pretty cool milestone for it to reach. But that does it for Stellation News, and let's talk about licensing of new stuff. And so J Novel Club has licensed the Clockwork. Planet Light Novel Series, and is currently offering the first third of Volume 1 and the first 40 pages uh, available for free to read. Specifically, the first third of Volume 1 is for members, and the first 40 pages is for the free users. And then the ebook of the first volume will go on sale in August. So cool, another light novel license. And this is a series from the creator of No Game, No Life, and I enjoy that a lot, so I might read this sometime. Then also something I'm very much looking forward to is the return of Princess Jellyfish and a simulpub by Kodansha USA on Comixology starting on June 24th. This may very well be the final stretch of Princess Jellyfish, and I'm very much looking forward to these chapters and, like, seeing where the story goes and how it may end. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this simulpub. I'm a little confused as to whether Crunchyroll will be simulpublishing it, because there's been some weird things going on with uh their Kodansha titles recently and, like, what what they are simulpublishing, like... uh. Some series have not been updated in a while, and it's very odd. But regardless, it'll be available on Comixology. So uh, I'm looking forward to reading more Princess Jellyfish and what could very well be the final set of chapters. Uh, that's definitely another series I, I would like to read, you know, when it ends. I feel like I owe it to Sid to read some of um, uh, Higashimura's works and maybe cover them on the show at some point. <laughs> Yes. Yes, we we that is an absolute must. She is one of my favorite mangaka of all time. And Princess Jellyfish is one of my favorite series of all time. 
just just on a side note, I've been seeing people tweet about Tokyo Tarariba Girls, and it really does look like the kind of thing I'd really like, actually. Like it, it looks it looks super cute and super funny, and I kind of want to read it. Yeah. But uh, sp- sp- speaking of things we want to review and read, Sid, um, we should probably move on to our first volume review of Delicious in Dungeon. That's right. Get your mouth wet, get your ingredients ready, and let's uh, go and talk about Delicious in Dungeon. All right, time time to explore the dungeon. Let's go. Yeah, off we go. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to eat the monsters from fantasy RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons? I'm guessing most of you never have. I mean, trying to eat monsters like mandrakes and slimes is absurd. Surely they'd never be edible. Who'd think to eat shit like that? <laughs> most stories would probably play off an adventurer's attempts at eating monsters for laughs, mocking their foolish plans and reveling in their inevitable failure. Not Ryoko Kuido. Madwoman mangaka that she is, Kui decided to play the concept straight and make a manga out of it. Not only do her characters succeed in making meals out of monsters, she depicts how they do it with as much detail and thought put into each dish as you'd find in a regular cooking manga. What results is a unique take on D&D stories, traded in battles and puzzles for bacon and poaching, and the results couldn't be tastier. This, my friends, is Delicious in Dungeon, otherwise known as Dungeon Messy, a series that I've enjoyed for quite a while and have ecstatic that Yen Press has finally releasing it officially over in the West, with the first volume having recently come out. And now we're going to discuss it today. Colton, you just read through the first volume of Delicious in Dungeon, and you tweeted about it quite a lot, and I'm guessing from those tweets you enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, so let me just let me just say real quick, I like I said on Twitter, I really have to thank both Sid and Casey, otherwise known as Banofsky Article on Twitter. We've had him on the show before. Good friend of the show. Hi, Casey, if you're listening. You and you and him both were pretty much the people who convinced me to start reading this. Like, along with a bunch of other people that really like this series, apparently, because we've we've talked about on the show before about how I think there was that one panel at um, I forget which con it was. I think it was some kind of like awards thing for different like comics and manga. And one of the categories was like the most requested licenses or whatever. And I think along with stuff like Bob Psycho 100, uh, this was one of them. It was. This has been a series that people have talked about and have raved about and have been looking forward to reading officially in English for a long time. And now it's finally happened and the results could not be sweeter. Mwah! 
Uh, yeah, so I guess I can just start this off. So I, I'm I'm a bit conflicted because I did enjoy the series. I did not I did not dislike it in the least. I just want to put that out there. But I do feel like I do feel like I have like one or two criticisms where I'm I'm so I'm sort of torn on a few things. Like I think the one issue I think I have with the series, if any, would be I had a hard time kind of grasping what the tone of the series was a little bit. Because, like, I was kind of expecting this to be, like, a really, like, kind of straightforward comedy. But, like, within the first volume alone, like, there aren't, like, a ton. But, like, there are a few moments where it's, like, where I feel like the series is supposed to, like, is expecting me to take certain moments seriously. Because the series starts off with, um, I'm, I'm going to forget a lot of these characters' names, so I, I apologize ahead of time. But uh, the main guy... Laius. Laius, yes, thank you. His group, and along with his sister, I think, are traveling this dungeon when uh his sister gets eaten by a dragon and like it's like uh, i i didn't think too much about it at the time but it's kind of weird because like it's it's kind of treated as like kind of sort of a serious moment but then like later on in the first chapter you know when they're out of the dungeon and they're kind of like trying to rethink their strategy a bit you know they bring up a whole bunch of points about how like okay well we're, we're gonna have to get like more supplies more food and we have to ration out our money this way and whatnot. And, like, I think one of the characters even brings up, like, um, you know, your sister was kind of eaten by a dragon. Like, maybe we should hurry up. And Leos is like, oh, no, but, like, we're, we'll be fine. Like, she won't digest too soon or whatever. Well, no, because Leos is the one who wants to go in right away to get his sister. And, like, Marcel and Chilshack are like, uh, we have to do all these preparations for us. We don't really have the money. So we got to really think about this first. We got to prepare before we go back in. And Laius just wants to go right back in, like, right away. But yeah, uh, generally, Laius is less concerned about the fate of his sister and more concerned about how tasty uh, some of the dungeon monsters are. And I think that a lot of the humor does come from, like, this morbidness, this contrast of, like, the severity of the situation that they might find themselves in and, like, how obsessed, like, Laius and Senshi are with just, hmm, are these edible? How can we cook this? Which is absolutely great, in my opinion. I So, like, the first chapter ends with a joke about, like, Senshi agrees to join their team. Senshi being the dwarf chef who has lived in the dungeon for a while and learned to cook a bunch of the inhabitants in there who joins Laius's team after, like, bonding over the shared interest in like uh monsters so senshi's like man thanks for letting me join your team guys i've always wanted to cook a dragon and then uh Laius and everyone is just thinking about uh if the dragon has eaten like Laius's sister and then they eat the dragon is that really okay you know <laughs> it's just like this great morbid joke and it's that's really the tone of the series like, it plays off, like, the weirdly obsessed with eating monsters Laius and Senshi are, and with, like, Morsil's increasing exasperation and, like, disgust of the stuff they're eating, even though she'll eventually turn around. But, like, throughout the first volume, Marcel is, like, going more and more insane and, like, reaching a breaking point. And she, at one point, she just, like, totally, like, it loses it after, like, really... <laughs> Screwing up with trying to catch the, or use a bat to pull out a mandrake, and she's like, "Fuck, brain dead." Uh, Marcel has the best facial expressions, pretty much in the in yeah. the 
book. And, like, because she approaches, like, things, like, very straightforwardly. And, like, okay, we got to do this by the book. Uh, that doesn't look sexy. But, like, Leia and Sinchi are like, eh, fuck it. Let's just go with it. Let's just do whatever. Let's let's try and see if this is edible. Let's let's be adventurous, man. And it's like, Marcia's like, no, what are you doing? Uh, so it's like, I like that a lot. It's very simple. A lot of jokes are at Marcel's expense, but, like, you know, it, it doesn't feel like they're being mean to her. The series doesn't feel mean-spirited in an uncomfortable way. Not not, not to the point where it's uncomfortable, but I, I feel myself kind of disagreeing just a little bit. Because at some points, like, there were some points where, like, I couldn't even laugh at her. I was just kind of like, wow, I really feel sorry for this girl. Like, I'm torn because I do like the end of that chapter with the Mandrakes where... She just, she just, she, she just like breaks down and I feel sorry for her up until like you have that little like cartoon like iris zoom at the end. And I couldn't help but think of the wah wah sound effect when I was reading that. And it felt, it felt so cartoony that like, again, I felt sorry for her and I, at first I couldn't laugh at her, but it's just like, it was the, like the ending of that chapter was just so cartoony. I kind of lost it. <laughs> So yeah, I, yeah. I, see, what makes the humor in the series work for me is that it's very cartoony. It's not. It, it's not taking itself too seriously. It knows that the concept is ridiculous. It's very interested in like the taught experiment of how you'd cook these monsters. So when they do the cooking scenes, like the way Senshi describes the cooking, isn't really supposed to be hilarious. It's just supposed to be like okay. What if you had to cook this creature? How would you go about it? What would it be like? What would it taste like? So uh, I think that the mangaka is just like really interested in the thought experiment about how you would cook and eat mythical beings. But then outside of that, like the exploring stuff and like all the Dungeons and Dragons type stuff like uh, they do. It's like, it's very much tongue in cheek and it's like, there's a lot of stuff played for laughs. Like when uh, the gang rescues like these two adventurers and like one of them is like been badly injured by like a bat or whatever and like is bleeding out. You know, they uh, take time to like go out of their way to like prepare this uh, meal out of a basilisk. And, like, they get distracted by it to the point it's, like, <laughs> they're just completely forgetting about the fact that this guy is dying. And, like, her, his companion is, like, bawling out. And it's like, what are you doing? Help my friend! <laughs> and then eventually they just feed him the basilisk and that makes him better. And then, like, later they ask him, hey, Laius, how can we be as strong as you and fight monsters? And then Senshi's like, you gotta prepare, you gotta be a bold and you gotta take care of your health and be smart and a bunch of stuff and they like get awe-inspired and so they try to do it themselves and the chapter ends with them being <laughs> eaten by carnivorous plants and it's like it's also a series where there isn't too much in the way of consequences which helps in taking some of the stuff seriously because like you can bring people back from the dead with magic so, like, you you know, even when characters die, it's like, hey, we'll just leave him out here. We'll just leave him hanging on this tree. Someone will find him and use magic to bring him back to life, you know? So I, I, I felt bad for Marcel in that chapter, too, because it's like, I I don't Again, I felt torn because, like, I felt sorry for her. But it's like, man, that's that was a really, like, comedically morbid way to end that chapter, which is just her sleeping in the futon right in the, right in the view of, like, this... 
dead corpse hanging from a tree. <laughs> like, God, you really can't. I don't know. If you don't feel sorry for her in that moment, I I don't know. Like, I felt for her. <laughs> I do feel bad for her, but it's like, again, it's not so dark. Like, the series isn't dark. It's like pretty lighthearted in tone. It just has a lot of morbid humor. So I can, like, get into it because of that. Because it's, like, it, it's the dichotomy of, like, how, like, dark and disturbing some of the things that happen are. And then, like, how the series, like, brushes it off and it's like, eh, it's not a big deal. And that's where the humor comes from. It's that dichotomy of this, of, like, the circumstances and, like, how the characters interpret the actual stakes. Yeah. But no, yeah, I think overall I felt like there were some points where, like, I was kind of questioning, like, the transitions in tone or whatnot. I'm not sure if I really fully agree they're, like, perfectly executed or whatnot, because there are some moments that feel kind of out of place. Uh, like, I think I tweeted about this one where you have a bunch of these guys going into this part of the dungeon with a bunch of living armor, and one of them comes up to... Uh, one of one of the sets of armor, and then like the guy just gets like stabbed in the neck, and I'm like, oh, that kind of took me out of the series a little bit because it's like, oh, I wasn't expecting such a like graphic. I mean, graphic it's for not this really series, not graphic though. It's not graphic, but I think it's graphic for like it's graphic for this series. I think I wasn't expecting things to like get that violent. Well, I think because the art is very simple and very cartoony most of the time, a lot of the violence is you know, easy not to take, like, too seriously. Like, if this was a super hyperly rendered series, then it would be kind of disturbing because it'd be, like, too close to reality in how, like, viscerally things were depicted. But because it's, like, in a very cartoony way, like, the stabbing, like, you know, that's kind of, like, cartoony. Like, you just get stabbed in the neck. It's just, like... I don't know if I really thought it was cartoony. To me, it feels very cartoony because it's, like, first of all, it's, like, it's not really dwelling on the fact of, like, the amount of blood that's bleeding out. It's just he got stabbed in the neck. It's like, it's just like, oh, uh, I guess it got stabbed in the neck. Like, that's the tone of the battle. Mm. It's, like, very nonchalant about all this, like, violence. No matter how horrific the violence is, it's pretty nonchalant about, like, oh, uh, this is happening. Oopsie. Too bad. See, I feel like, I feel like I'm Marseille. Well, uh -huh. I, I feel like, I feel like I'm the Marseille here, where it's like, I don't know how to take some of this sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess you're a Marcel and I'm a Laius in terms of how we look at the series, I guess. Huh. Actually, I wonder I wonder if Laos is just like the author's self-insert. Oh, I definitely think he is. I definitely think Laius is like meant to be an insert for the author's own interest and in, like how would we go about cooking these monsters could you cook these monsters like that's what it really feels to me because like i didn't really think about it until now but it's like you know they go into like such detail on how to cook these like basically these fictional dishes that you really like i felt like i was reading food wars for a second where it's like you know food wars is pretty over the top and wacky or whatnot but like the things that they cook in that series like you could actually make yourself, like, they've released cookbooks or whatnot mm -hmm. a little while back. And, like, this was the kind of series I felt like it could be, except I know for a fact that, like, you can't cook stuff like Mandrake or whatever, because that stuff doesn't exist. But it feels like you well, could. Well, Mandrake is an actual thing, but it's not like the fictional depictions of it in mythology. Okay, then. Well, but, but, but you know what I mean. Like, th this this is stuff that, like you like, you can't cook. Or at least some of this, at least you can't cook. Like, you can't you can't cook a slime. Like, slimes don't exist. Yeah. So, so like, so, like, my point is, like, you really have to wonder, like, how much 
uh, Ryoko Kui, like, really thinks about this kind of stuff. And maybe she was just like, maybe I should make a manga out of this. I, that's what I said at the beginning. It's like, oh, I okay. think that Ryoko Kui is, like, obsessed with this idea. And she was like, man, how would you really do this? And so she turned, like, her obsession with, like, D&D monsters and, like, the idea of cooking them into a manga. Where the, it's just, the story is just an excuse to explore how you would cook various D&D monsters. Like, we mm-hmm. didn't get to it in this volume, but, like, eventually we get the stuff where they're, like, cooking Kelpies and then the actual dragon and stuff. So, you know, it, it goes, like, all the way. Yeah. Everything is fair game. Every mythological creature, uh, plant or animal, is fair game in what the series, like, chooses to, chooses to, like, try and make seem edible mm. and, and interesting. And I think what works about the cooking scenes to me is like, because they put so much thought into it, and it's like, okay, like how would we really make it like tasty? And uh, what is the nutritional value of this? And what they do to like, because these are fictional ingredients and like, we obviously can't like taste them ourselves. Like they related to like real world, like tastes. You know, like with the basilisk, you know, they compare it to like chicken, obviously. So, you know, you can kind of get a sense of, okay, uh, I can get, I can guess at how this tastes based on like what I know about how real world food tastes. And I think that's what make the cooking scenes work for me is that Ryoko Kui like relates it to like real world cooking practices and how real food tastes. But uh, what else do I want to talk about? Um, I really do like Senshi. He's, he's probably my favorite character. Yeah. He's, he's, he, he like, I, I love his design too, cause like he. It's really good. Yeah, he's like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it. Like he looks, he looks so adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very cartoony design, and it's like, but it's also like distinctively iconic to me. Like, it's yeah. like so memorable. Yeah, it, it really, it really feels like, it feels like something, you, he feels like a character in like, uh, in like Lord of the Rings almost. Yeah, he really does. Uh, he does look like some of the dwarves from that. Uh, I really like all the cast, though. I think all of them stand out in their own ways in this volume, which is really nice. Yeah. And they're all just a lot of fun. They all, like, play off each other really well and have good interactions and dynamics. And they, and they're, like, how they process, like, okay, how we're gonna eat this and, like, whether we should eat this is also, you know, very interesting because they all are on the different spectrum. Yeah. Because Senchi is the one who's, like, always all for it. Well, or maybe it's Laius who's always all for it. And then, like, Marsteel is the one who's always against it. Like, Senshi is the one who's always interested in, like, trying new ways of cooking things. And then uh, Chilchak is like, whatever. Yeah, I'm here. This. Why not? <laughs> yeah. um, spe- speaking of Chilchuk, actually, I-, I had I had read a review somewhere that where one of one of their criticisms was that Chilchuk got the least, like, uh, time to shine or the least, like, characterization, which, you know, I had I had read that before I got to the chapter where, like, you know, he he actually gets to show off his um his skills in like uh diffusing traps and whatnot, and mm-hmm. I I I thought that led to a nice little you know chapter of bonding between him and Senshi, where they both kind of learn about each other's professions in a way, and they both have to like work together. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite chapter in the first volume because I love 
how Ryoko Kui just thought of the idea of using, like, traps in a dungeon to, like, <laughs> cook, like, food. Like, you use the traps in a dungeon to cook food. You chop up um, carcass with a guillotine. You use, like, fire pits to cook things. Like, you steal the burning oil that that's just thrown out at you and use that to deep fry the meat. It's like, <laughs> it's just... I love, like, how she manages to use the world of the series and make everything a way to, for the characters to use to cook, like, insane things. It's just, and a variety of things, too, like deep frying in a dungeon. Who would have thought of that? That, that, that is pretty wild. <laughs> that is just so cool to me, like, how, like, how she's able to use, like, they use the setting in ways that I don't think anyone has ever thought of to do before. Like, as a cooking manga, that's like, just, that's a lot of the appeal of D- Delicious and Dunder for me. I just, mm-hmm. I really enjoy that aspect of it more than anything. Just this, this entire Todd experiment about how you would go about and eat these monsters. Mm. It's just so interesting to me. Um, I think, like, really the last thing I want to talk about personally, unless, unless you have anything super specific, I just think, um, I can't really help but wonder, like, where this series is going next and, like, wh- like how things are going to go from here in terms of the story. Because, I don't know, like, it makes me kind of want to read more because it's like, obviously this, this series has apparently a very, very small but, like, vocal fan base. And it, ju- it just makes me wonder if, like, there's, like, a moment in the series that happens that, like... That convinces people like, yeah, this is this manga is good or whatever, you know, you know what I mean, Sid? Like, there's all there's always that one moment that people point to where it's like, okay, you got to get to this moment. If this is the litmus test for if you like X series or not, I wonder if Delicious in Dungeon has one of those moments or not. Or if maybe just like, I guess just the premise by itself just interests a lot of people. Uh, This is basically just me thinking aloud about like of why this series has, like, such, like, the dedicated fan base that it does, at least from what I'm seeing. For me, I was sold on the premise alone just from the first couple chapters. I just thought it was super interesting, and I enjoyed all the characters. I mean, there is character development. There is, like, more of a story as the series goes on. And they do eventually defeat and cook the dragon. Okay. In, like... That, that happened last year, so it would have been about Volume 5-ish, I think. Oh, okay. So, you know, that happens. They revive Lace's sister. All that happens. I'm not really sure where the story goes after that, because that was also around the time Yen Press, you know, announced the license. I was, mm. I decided to wait, just read the series officially from now on. But, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, th- there's great moments. I do, like, the final, the battle with the dragon is really cool. Like, okay. that was also a contender for me for, like, best battle of 2017 because that was that was a really smartly done and like really cool battle that they did but yeah i mean there's a lot to love about this series in my opinion and but i do think like you really have to be interested and invested in this idea of cooking these like fictional creatures and the todd experiment of that uh to really like be as in love with it as, like, so many people are, myself included. You have to be just as obsessed as Laos is. Yes, and then otherwise, uh, if you just enjoy, like, fun fantasy stories or cooking manga, it's also a really enjoyable read, I think. Mm. Though, I mean, again, as Colton was a little bit, like, he didn't know how to feel about the series' humor at times, you do have to, like, kind of 
be in that kind of sensibility of like accepting of like like nonchalantly morbid humor. Yeah, I think maybe I'll probably get used to it as as I as I read further because I would like to read more of this at some point. Yeah. But overall, I did enjoy reading this, though I personally don't think it's like super amazing, but like I still think it's like it was definitely amusing enough for me to want to keep reading and want to see uh how far we could kind of take this premise. So I think you know, I don't want to, and when I say, well, it's not, like, super amazing, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I'm not trying to downplay its merits, like, I think, I think it is a legitimately interesting manga. I think it's, it's one of those things where, like, there's, like, such a vocal fan base for this series that I'm just kind of, like, I was just kind of expecting, like, huh, like, what, what is it, what is it that people like about this thing? And I think I kind of understand it. I think it's just, like I said, I, I, I am the Marseille here, I'm the one who's kind of like, <laughs> huh, okay, what are we doing here? Um, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm also open to the idea here as well. Like, I'm, I'm open to seeing like how straight they can take this premise. Cause I think that's kind of where the series, it's at its most enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I like it enough. I, I like it. I like it enough to want to read more of it at some point. So that's good at least. Yeah. Even if you didn't love it, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Unlike Nick Freeman of Makely Manga Recap. Given it a one in his review on ANN, I can't abide that. I, yeah, I I saw that I saw that review too, and I was like, huh, you know, like I I like the series at least more than he does. Apparently, uh, it's a fair review, but you know, I can't abide by someone who doesn't find delicious in dungeon fun. <laughs> I find it fun at least. I I like it. Yeah. So so there you go. Um, I think that might be about it. So unless you want to bring up anything else. No, I think we covered, like, a lot of what makes Delicious in Dungeons so fun and enjoyable. And I would, like, highly recommend it, again, to people who enjoy fun fantasy manga and fun cooking manga. Because it's a great marriage of both. Two tastes to go well together. And that about does it for this episode of Manga Mavericks. It was a good time. I enjoy talking about this series. I'm going to be looking forward to talking about Welcome to the Ballroom on the next episode. Yep. Uh, that's gonna be fun. Definitely gonna be reading uh, at least a couple volumes of that for the next episode, uh, especially with the anime coming up. I feel like uh, this is probably the best time to uh, dive into that series because uh, I—that's a series I've been interested in reading for about a year or two now because I constantly see pages uh, from it all over Twitter and every other place I I frequent, and it's just like, man, I'm already really impressed by the art with that series, like. Like, I think I've talked about before how, like, I'm way more interested in Welcome to the Ballroom compared to something like Straighten Up, I think, just because of the art alone, honestly, but that's just me personally. I love Straighten Up's art, but I do think that Welcome to the Ballroom looks particularly stunning, and I'm very excited to dive into it. But until then, Colton, where can the good people find you? Oh, well, you can find me on Twitter. As I've mentioned one or two times here on the show before, at SniperKing323, that's S-N-I-P-E-R-K-I-N-G-323. And uh, I do a lot of other podcasts. There's uh, Life Lessons, the Gintama manga cast, where I basically talk about Gintama. Uh, if you didn't already know, I'm a huge fan of that series. Uh, we talk about the manga specifically through the old Viz Media release that has been discontinued, but we basically cover whatever they brought over from the beginning. You can find that at GintalifeLessons.wordpress.com. Uh, you can also, if 
if you like the idea of that show, but maybe you're not tuned to Gintama, uh, maybe you're a fan of Case Closed or Detective Conan, whatever you want to call it. We basically do the same thing over at uh, One Podcast Prevails. We talk about the Detective Conan manga from the very beginning, as it is still being released by Viz Media, and you can follow that at onepodcastprevails.wordpress.com. Um, one more thing I want to plug, something pretty new that uh, Sid was nice enough to retweet for me. I'm starting my own personal blog called Colton Corner. On uh, That's uh, coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Basically, it's going to be my place for, because uh, I, I can't say I'm going to be updating it too frequently, because uh, I'm, I'm busy with a lot of other stuff. It's kind of a side pet project of mine where... Basically, it's going to be a blog where, you know, maybe sometimes I want to talk about something on Twitter, but I feel like obviously Twitter might be a little too limiting for certain things I want to talk about. And I want to I want a place to maybe kind of stretch my thoughts out a little bit more uh, somewhere where I'm not as uh, limited by character limits, obviously. So I'm hoping to start maybe writing some posts on there because I'm also not much of a writer. Maybe I can this blog will help me with that. Uh, help me grow as a writer a little bit, even though I don't really like writing, and I've said that before on the show. I figured I'd give, give it a try. I don't know when I'm going to post on there, but probably the first post I'm going to be doing will probably be a top five list of my favorite episodes from the Green Jacket Lupin series from uh, the very early 70s. Very Basically the first Lupin TV series, so uh, I think that'll be fun. Uh, hopefully I can get that up in the next month or so. Again, I'm busy, but... You know, again, you can follow that at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. If you're interested in me or any of my specific thoughts on anything at all, that'll be the place to go. Look forward to that. The link is in the description. Check it out. As for me, you can find me as Lum Ramiyasha on Twitter and Animation Revelation. I'm writing a lot more reviews for allcomic.com now, so check those out as well. You'll see a review for Delicious in Dungeon out probably before the time this episode gets posted. I'll also link that in the description as well. And as for this show, you can follow us at manga underscore mavericks on Twitter and manga mavericks.tumblr.com on Tumblr and on our YouTube page, Manga Mavericks. Just search for it. Remember, guys, we need those 100 subscribers to get that custom URL. We are two-thirds of the way there, so please subscribe and like our content on there, as well as rate and review us on iTunes. That definitely helps the podcast grow. If you have any questions, comments, or criticisms, please send those to mangamavericks at gmail.com. Send us your suggestions about what series we should read next, or just ask us anything about what we're like and what we're looking for in manga. And uh, don't forget, every episode of Manga Mavericks is also on allcomic.com. That's where we post every episode of the podcast first. And I think that about does it. This has been Manga Mavericks Episode 33, and... We will see you in the next one. Bye-bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.